situation is worse than losing your job. With the new age of baseball is the castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey by JohnPielli.com. Lots of stuff we're going to get into today in a world of baseball sports and unifying America. Just a reminder, drop a line. Something that's on your mind you want to bring up. Just let me know. I was thinking about starting a show at a 11 today, but in all honesty, I've been kind of chomping at the bit to discuss a couple different topics. Some of them have been repetitive. Some of them I've mentioned before, but I want to continue to make my case when it comes to the Baseball Hall of Fame, why there is a distinct difference between the way that it's operated and the way that the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the Nate Smith Basketball Hall of Fame is. But I got to start out and really get off my chest a couple things that frustrated me about what came to the public eye yesterday. And it was announced that the New York Mets had agreed to a amended contract for Ioannis Cespedes for the 2020 season. And this has been thought of, at least over the last couple of years, as the big burden, the thing that has hindered the New York Mets' new general manager, Brody Van Wagenen, and the Wilpon family for being able to make those extra moves that they need to put themselves over the top. Remember, Brody Van Wagenen, when he took over as the general manager of the Mets, was very much about the Mets being the elite team in the National League East, basically telling the other teams in the National League East to come and get us. And you know what happened? Those other teams came and got them. The Philadelphia Phillies went out there and they signed Bryce Harper and they traded for JT Real Muto. The Atlanta Braves won the division. The Washington Nationals won the freaking World Series. And where are the Mets? Sitting here still in free agency right now going into the 2020 season. Penny pinching. Telling fans and people in the media outlet that they have to shed money off of contracts. They got to trade Jed Lowry and the 10 plus million he's supposed to make in 2020. Trade Juris Familia and the 10 million that he's scheduled to make or around that in 2020. If the Mets are going to be able to bring in any better players than they already have. Yet, you find out that the Mets decided they weren't going to pay Yoenis Cespedes half of his contract in 2019. The same contract that they're telling you is the burden and the reason why they can't make the financial moves they need to be to get to the level of these other teams in their division and their league and the sport. So almost $15 million in Yoenna Cespedes' contract last year, the Mets didn't even freaking pay. Did they invest it in their team? No. The owners took it and put it in their pocket and, by the way, claimed that they lost $60 million last year. It's absolutely insane that fans and people that cover the team and people that invest their time in this organization have to accept the lack of effort that is done here. And you listen, to give the Wilpons some credit, it's not like they are cheap in a 
you know, penny pinching, uh, you know, owner of the Chicago Cubs in rookie of the year type of cheap, where he thinks that he could get four hot dogs for a dollar, but you know what? He's a lot. He's eleven dollars short. Not that kind of cheap. But it looks like they've pocketed a lot of money, but they've also made a lot of bad business decisions. And I hate to bring up Madoff, but if you if you are as an ownership group of a major baseball franchise and have as much assets as you do if you're the Wilpons, you gotta be smarter than to invest your money with somebody that's running a Ponzi scheme. And if you're willing to do that, then I can't trust the other investments that you're making. I can't trust the way that you're managing your money. And listen, Brody Van Wagenen, the Mets general manager, is, is part of this. You know, he may not have the power to stand up to the owners and say, hey, I'm going to do it my way. But he, listen, he took the job. He's had to back the narrative or drink the Kool-Aid, which he's done to this point. And I'll tell you this. You're talking about a team that had the worst bullpen in Major League Baseball last season. The worst. And their answer is to take another shot with the relievers that they already have. And once again, we know the definition of insanity. It's to do something the same exact way and expect to get a different result. You're bringing back the same relievers that you had last year that were the worst in baseball. And because you've drank in gallons upon gallons of Kool-Aid, you're going to somehow try to tell the fans that there's going to be different results. And then you're also going to say that you have to trade a contract of Jed Lowry or Juris Familia to get another relief pitcher. Yet you're being relieved of $20 million in payroll obligation to Yohannes Espinus. Which, what has been said all along, the Cespedes contract is what has hindered the Mets from being able to spend at the level of these other teams. So there's so much that doesn't make sense here. And for those that think that, oh, $20 million in savings of Cespedes' contract next year is going to be reinvested in the team, it ain't. The Mets are not going to do that. They're going to pocket the money and run this team out there again and finish in third or fourth place in the National League East. Wasting another quality year of Jacob deGrom, another year of having Noah Syndergaard, another year of Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil. And it's not that those players are gonna give, aren't going to give their best. You're only as good as the players that you got. And when you watch guys like Blake Trinan and eventually Dylan Betances, and other relievers like Will Harris that are going to be had by other teams, teams that are co competing with the New York Mets. And the Mets' answer is Robert Gisellman. The Mets' answer is Juris Familia. When these guys are getting shelled in 2020, it's because the owners in this particular situation don't care if the team wins. And they should care. Because they lost $60 million last year. That's what they told you. They lost $60 million last year. Part of it is because the fans didn't show up. Because they didn't want to see their crap product that they were throwing out there. 
Fans decided, even though the Mets were winning games in the second half of the season, they don't want to show up and watch, you know, Edwin Diaz throw another friggin' hanging slider. This is the part, honestly, it, this bothers me. This bothers me as a fan. Because we've been told for the last couple of years that the Mets, because of their payroll commitments, it's going to keep them from being able to go over the top. It's going to be able to keep them, it's keeping them from being able to make that necessary move that they need to make. Because they're still paying David Wright. But what did they do? They took the amount of money that he was owed last year and this year and spread it out so their obligations to him are less. They were told that Ioannis Cespedes was making $29 million in 2019 and $29.5 million in 2020. And because of that, the Mets were hamstrung in their ability to invest in player contracts. And guess what? They decided at some point last year they weren't going to pay Cespedes anymore. They didn't even pay him half of his contract. And you look this year, and they're going to save over, uh, over two-thirds of what they were owing him this year, and they're not going to reinvest that money. It's a freaking embarrassment. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, of accounts, of this show without the express written consent of the past ball show, JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial other use of programs, such as by charge admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So, you know, being down at the baseball winter meetings this past week, I got to see something or at least be in a proper place for an announcement that meant a lot to me. Certainly meant a lot to a lot of Major League Baseball players, really since the mid to latter part of the 1970s. And that was the announcement that Marvin Miller is going to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, Marvin, from what he said, you know, even though he felt like the odds were stacked against him, the way the committee was set up, that there were the Veterans Committee was going to just have enough votes to be able to keep him out of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, he has passed, you know, a couple of years. He's been gone since, what, 2012? And... You know, baseball decided to put him in as a baseball pioneer. His family probably won't be attending because I think that was Marvin's wishes. And I think Marvin really cared a lot about what he did for the players and cared more about that than being recognized amongst baseball as a pioneer. And I think because of that, he did his job so much better than anybody else would do their job. But my point about Marvin Miller is that was a big step in Major League Baseball of righting the wrong, which is their Hall of Fame and the way that it's set up. There's no other sport, and I talk about football and I talk, talk about basketball, and I'm going to continue to dig into the likes of the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame and basically point out that, that there's not the uh, marquee uh, gentlemen of all gentlemen that are all representing its respective Hall of Fames. And baseball, because it's a sport that considers itself holier than thou, considers itself better than any other sport and more um, of a goody-two-shoes type of sport, that it's got these standards, yet it welcomed Cap Anson into its Hall of Fame. 
Cap Anson single-handedly kept black players from being able to play in Major League Baseball. And if he, if it wasn't his decision to get rid of Moses Fleetwood Walker in 1884, black players may still have, may have been playing in baseball from 1884 to 1947. They don't bring up the negatives about Cap Anson. You look at his plaque, you look at his accomplishments, and sure, he probably was one of the best players up until the likes of Ty Cobb and Honest Wagner. He was a bad person. And you want to talk about how bad of a person Cap Anson was and compare it to the likes of Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, who we like to hold out of baseball's Hall of Fame because they quote-unquote cheated. Now, I'm going to bring a contrarian point of view to this topic a little bit later. And I'll hint it, I'll give the biggest tease about it to say that it has to do with Will Clark. And I'm going to talk about Will Clark in a little bit. And I'm actually going to back off of some of my statements about Baseball's Hall of Fame and some of the things that it needs to do to correct itself. The bottom line is, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, though they may have cheated, they have not been given the same rights that any criminal has been given in this country. They have not been given a trial with a jury and a judge. They have not been accused of a crime, which they had a chance to defend with a lawyer. Yet, the court of public opinion says that they cheated, and because of that, we're supposed to forget that they ever existed and played Major League Baseball. Now, once again, I'll continue to talk about Barry Bonds because he was one of the top five offensive position players to ever play in Major League Baseball. You got to look at the likes of Ruth and Gehrig and Ted Williams and Ty Cobb to talk about anybody that did more over the course of their professional baseball career than Barry Bonds. Yet Barry Bonds is held out because he quote unquote cheated. But even if he did, you talk about people who have committed heinous crimes that get a chance to be defended by a lawyer. People have committed heinous crimes that at least get a chance to have a trial with a judge and a jury. And if they're found guilty, they have to deal with the consequences. But in baseball, it's hearsay. And you look at it through its baseball writers, whom a lot of them do a really good job. But baseball writers that hold their grudge with certain players. That's why Albert Bell isn't in the Hall of Fame. Because the writers don't like him. Kurt Schilling isn't in the Hall of Fame. Because he doesn't like the writers. And I think it's time that you take your, your personal agenda and your attacks on players, put them aside, and look at the stats and look at what they did of course, over the course of their careers. Next part of this I want to talk about, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. There are questionable characters in their respective Hall of Fames. And the same thing you could say about baseball. Talked about Cap Anson, you know, the Ty Cobb case has been made that he had, uh, he wasn't necessarily the nicest of guys. 
you know, the Leishman book that went out there tried to basically make it about Al Stump being bitter as a reporter, which bitter being a reporter is not something that is uncommon in a game of sports writing today. The agendas against Barry Bonds. Maybe Barry Bonds didn't give that interview. Maybe Barry Bonds treated some people in the media unfairly. But in the end, Barry Bonds was still Barry Bonds. He did things that other players in the history of the sport never did. So I look at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And the way it's set up right now, and you look at the likes of O.J. Simpson, and listen, nothing that O.J. Simpson did when he was playing should do anything to strike his Hall of Fame candidacy as it exists in a world of professional football. But neither did Pete Rose. And this may bother some people, because there's people that hate Pete Rose just like they hate Barry Bonds. Pete Rose had more hits than anybody in Major League Baseball history. Pete Rose, over the course of the 20, what, 24 years, 23 years that he played in Major League Baseball, was the epitome of how Major League Baseball was supposed to be played. And obviously, he made bad decisions. Definitely when he was managing. And most likely after his playing career. There was never any evidence that was thrown out there that proved that Pete Rose bet on baseball while he was playing. So there was just no evidence. Whether he did or didn't, there was no evidence to prove that anything that he did on the field as a player was compromised. Guy had the most hits in Major League Baseball history, most plate appearances, most at-bats, most singles, was Charlie Hustle. For every kid that is growing up playing baseball is the epitome of the way Major League Baseball is supposed to be played and is the way baseball is supposed to be played in a playground. Yet O.J. Simpson, who may have made some bad decisions after his pro football career, which I'm not going to get into because they're public knowledge and it, it, you, you can have your own judgment on it. Anything he did outside of pro football did not impact what he meant to the sport. What he was as a running back at USC. What he was as the juice running loose in the 1970s with the Buffalo Bills. Now, you want to say hypothetically, if O.J. Simpson's murder trial took place before he was eligible for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, would there be more of an effort to keep him out? And I think that's an interesting point. The bottom line is that never happened. We've never taken a player that is in the Hall of Fame out. It's never happened. There's O.J. Simpson. He was found not guilty in his murder trial. Did end up having to serve some time in prison for an unrelated incident. Ray Lewis was accused of murder or being part of a murder. Was found not guilty. Chris Carter 
has had a history of being a devious dude. Still has that statement that he, he basically told college players, hey, you can screw up as much as you want as long as you have a fall guy. As long as you have somebody that you could blame for the mistakes that you're making. Charles Haley, Lawrence Taylor, weren't necessarily good people. Didn't stop pro football from putting them in their respective Hall of Fame. Now you can talk about college basketball coaches that are um, put into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Guys like Jim Beheim, Coach K, Bobby Knight. And you can think about it. Hey, listen, somebody may say, hey, well, how can you not Coach K? You're a coach of a college basketball program for that long. At some point, there's going to be some things that happen with your students and your student-athletes. Are they devious? Are you involved in it? The bottom line is there's some things that are happening there that aren't right. And if basketball was treated as Major League Baseball, you can make a case that some of these coaches may not be in its respective Hall of Fame. You get the whole NCAA thing and the amateur status of athletes. Larry Brown may not have made some of the best decisions over the course of his coaching career. He's in a Hall of Fame. Adolph Rupp. Head basketball coach at North Carolina. Held kids back from that qualified to, to get into the school that had the athletic ability to help him based off of their nationality and heritage. That's a fact. Nobody held Adolph Rupp out of the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yet you look at what goes on in baseball and it continues to be unfortunate. It continues to not be fair to the players that did what they did. Like I said, if you want to have an actual trial, and this is the part where, where Congress got involved in Major League Baseball, and because of that, I think that there became more of an indictment on the players that were using steroids, and Major League Baseball did a better job, put a drug testing policy in its sport, which it hadn't had before. But the most important thing you could say about that is that Congress, while they involved themselves and made a change, they didn't necessarily make enough of a change. Now, how far are you going to go after players that use performance-enhancing drugs? Are you going to put them in jail for using steroids? I think you could threaten them with jail time for simply just admitting what it is that they did. Take them to trial, prove that they perjured themselves in front of a jury, and because of that, they'd have to go to jail. So if Congress really wanted to get involved, they actually could get to the whole root of the thing, because right now you have circumstantial evidence, and in some cases hearsay, as being reasons why players used steroids and didn't in a public eye. And you know the court of public opinion can only go up to a certain point. 
but you got players that are being held out of baseball's Hall of Fame that accomplished a lot more for the sport than others that are already in. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste of smoothness and drinkability you'll find in no beer at any cost. So I did want to spend a little time talking about Will Clark. And if Will Clark was on my show right now, I'd be basically telling him that even though I have the stance that I have when it comes to steroids, its impact in baseball, and how we are to remember the players that used, or at least allegedly used, I think of the career of Will Clark, which coincided with the career of Rafael Palmeiro. And if you look at two very talented young ball players in the 1980s, you're talking about two distinct paths that one could have made a decision to do. Rafael Palmeiro, at whatever time, obviously you don't have to date because you can't trust anything that Rafael Palmeiro says. He lied to Congress. He said he's never done steroids, period. Which I, we, have, we have on audio and video. You can't trust somebody that has perjured themselves in front of Congress. So at some point, Rafael Palmeiro decided to use steroids. And with that, built himself a hell of a career. One of only six players in Major League Baseball history to have both 3,000 hits and 500 home runs. The others are Willie Mays, Hank Garen, Eddie Murray, Alex Rodriguez, Albert Pujols. Nice category to be in. Now, Rafael Palmeiro has, has basically been the poster child of what the media and fans have kind of taken out their backlash on. You know, this guy, according to what is reported, used steroids to get him to the point that he was over the course of his career. The 3,000 hits, the 500-plus home runs, are all a product of steroids. Now, a contemporary that played with him, like I said, was Will Clark. And if we look at Will Clark's stats over the course of his career, they were very good. Maybe not Hall of Fame, but if you look at what he accomplished over the course of whatever it was, what, the 14, 15 seasons he played in Major League Baseball, he was very solid. He was very consistent. He'd hit some home runs. He'd drive in some runs. He had a, had a very good OPS over the course of his career. Was it nine? Yeah, something like, uh, you know, 930-something. And you look at the numbers that he had over the course of his career, and if you look at stats like OPS plus and weighted runs created and even weighted on base average, Will Clark was right there with Rafael Palmeiro. OPS plus, Will Clark had 137, Palmeiro had 132. Weighted runs created. Clark was 136, Palmeiro was 130. And that's throughout the entirety of their careers. So Will Clark was very consistent, was a very good player, but because he didn't have those 
over-the-top numbers, those potentially padded numbers that Palmaro had, nobody ever thinks of the case for Will Clark to be in the Hall of Fame. And it's weird because you talk about baseball and the things that I mentioned before about its Hall of Fame kind of holding itself on a different type of level. You know, Palmaro's out of the Hall of Fame, may never get in, probably won't. And maybe, you know, you're going to need Bonds and Clemens and, you know, other players like that to start to gain traction before you start thinking about Rafael Palmaro and his case. But obviously, Palmaro and Clark are not in baseball's Hall of Fame for different reasons. Palmaro, it's not because of the numbers. It's because of him being the poster child for steroids in the generation that he played. Will Clark, you can make a case that if he did steroids, he may have had a career like Palmero. But even putting everything aside and everything that the two players accomplished, Clark's numbers are very comparable to Palmero. Now, that baseball fan that isn't analytical, that isn't looking very deep into the numbers, is going to say that Palmero had 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. Two things that Will Clark didn't come close to doing. But they were extremely similar players that played at the exact same time. And you know what? Year in and year out, even though Clark's numbers weren't as flashy as Palmaro's, they were both very good players. And the one statement I'll make about baseball's the judgment of players and the use of performance-enhancing drugs in sports is that I feel for a guy like Will Clark. Because Will Clark is the epitome of that player that played in the steroids era that didn't use steroids. And he may have played the 15-year career that he was expected to play. But he gets looked at as an okay player, an all-star player, a player to put up some good numbers. But those numbers don't look as good as what Palmero did. Those numbers don't look as good as what Mark McGuire did. Mark McGuire hit all those home runs. Will Clark's last season of 2000, Mark McGuire was hurt. Cardinals acquired him from the Baltimore Orioles, ran him out there as the everyday first baseman throughout the playoffs, throughout the postseason. Will Clark hit 345. Basically, as an FU to the steroids era that he could play. And after that season, he decided to walk away because he was he was that good of a player, but lived in the shadows of those that used performance enhancing drugs. And the Cardinals with Will Clark playing first base were just as good as the Cardinals with Mark McGuire playing first base. And Mark McGuire hit 70 home runs. He hit 66 home runs in, two, in uh, 98 and 99. They were just as good with Will Clark. And that's the one player that I feel bad for that played in the steroids era. Now, you can talk about minor league players that had the talent, that were passed up by some that decided to use performance-enhancing drugs. The Laducas, the Gagne's, the you know, you know, uh, Matt Hurgis's of the Los Angeles Dodgers organization in the late 90s. Making a decision to use steroids and basically 
passing over players that chose not to. I feel for those guys that never got to the big leagues. I do feel for Will Clark. Because Will Clark was the epitome of what a solid baseball player was at that time. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. Castrol, engineered for today's smaller cars. Was thinking about this and how I was going to phrase it. We spent a lot of time talking about baseball in this program. And if you're following the news, whether it's, you know, however you get your news through sports. Cornerback, uh, defensive back for the New York football giants, Janoris Jenkins, was released. And you, know, you could say it's probably a pattern of unruly behavior, but capped off by using a word that is directed at mentally and physically handicapped. And it made me think about how that word sounds. And I think about how that word sounds within the confines of those that are suffering through the physical and mental disabilities. I don't think about it as a person that is hearing that or having it said to them, which I have before, and I'll tell a quick story in a minute, but it doesn't have the same hateful impact against somebody that is not mentally or physically handicapped. If there's a person, you know, with all due respect to them, uh, having a hard time moving around, maybe is in a wheelchair, maybe is getting assistance in the day-to-day -day activities of a normal life, and somebody says the R word to them, then I would feel very strongly that that person should be held accountable for saying that. But for somebody to slip that word, to call somebody that doesn't have any mental or physical handicaps, the R word, I think that is an indication of the PC police taking it a little bit too far. Now we've spoken about the F word on the show and not the word that a lot of people have made completely okay to say, but the other F word that re, uh, reverts or discusses or mentions or puts in a negative light those that happen to be homosexual. And if it slips out in a casual conversation with two heterosexual people, it should not have the same impact as if it's used in a derogatory sense towards an entire group of people. And that's just my take on it. You may not agree with it, but at the same time, we're getting a little too politically correct. And I'm not saying that I want the right to say it. I'm not going to use either of those terms. And I'll even tell a work story from about, I don't know, uh, we talk about eight, nine years ago. There was a woman that made a reference to me, and unfortunately I wasn't around, but it was overheard by somebody. Use that same word to describe me. Now, listen, nobody is going to be happy to be referred to in that sense. 
And, and I understood that that was a person just letting off some steam. If it was up to me, I would not have advocated that that person would lose their job over it. And I do think people have to be careful with what they say and who hears it. Because you do have somebody that can overhear that could be really offended by it. And it becomes a public relations nightmare for any company to have to deal with something like that. So I understand it. And I do suggest for everybody, even though you may not believe that some of these things are not as harmful or as hurtful as they can be, and in a lot of cases they aren't. In a lot of cases we're talking about times where these words are used but aren't meant in a, the most derogatory way that they're taken by somebody that's from the outside. Somebody that hears that and says, well, you know what? I know somebody that's mentally and physically disabled. So that could be hurtful to them. Well, it wasn't used towards them. And I think we do have to look at the fine lines of what should be acceptable and what shouldn't be acceptable. The best thing to do is just not say the words. Understand that somebody can be offended, but when we go to a point and we take people's jobs away for saying that, when the context can be very murky, at the very least, in other words, the context of what they, they were saying was not directed at somebody that happened to be mentally or physically handicapped. I think we got to look at ourselves in the mirror and question whether we're doing the right thing. Now, the New York football giants in this situation were cutting a player who had three games left that probably wasn't going to be on the team next year. So probably gave him a good reason to let the player go, who they, you know, overall probably would have liked to get rid of. Had a hard time trading because of his salary commitments and his contract. But to say, hey, for using that word and looking at the context, sure, he was calling the reporter a name, but that reporter was not physically or mentally handicapped. Was a poor choice of words? Absolutely. But what have I spoken about many times in this show? Does that provide the rights that somebody should lose their job over it? And a person may say, yes. And a person may say, I'm going to take it a step further. And that person may not deserve the right to work again. And all I suggest is just go back, listen to some of the past PBSs. If you got the right to work, somebody that you know their name because they're an athlete has the right to work. And I hate to break this to you, it's going to piss some people off, and I'm okay with it. Colin Kaepernick deserves the right to work. A little bit of recap of the show today. Started out by talking about Yoannis Cespedes' contract. And the Mets are going to save themselves about $20 million for Cespedes' contract in the 2020 season. But the decision has probably already been made by ownership, by the Mets front office, that they're not going to reinvest any of that money. You're still talking about the possibility that the Mets have to drop some more salary, a Jed Lowry contract, a Juris Familia contract just for them to be able to sign players that they need. 
And they're still going to tell you that the bullpen that they had last year, which was the absolute worst in Major League Baseball, at least the Nationals got it together in the playoffs. That this bullpen's going to be good this year with the same exact freaking faces. And the Mets aren't going to reallocate this money. The Mets are in the business of saving as much money as they can. Their payroll is set up, and the goal is to get that number down. Talked about how the Mets could not invest in its team to get better players, either at the trading deadline or after the season into the offseason this year. Yet, they decided they weren't going to pay Yoannis Cespedes' contract. For the second half of the 2019 season. Yet they're still claiming poverty. They lost $60 million last year. It's an absolute joke. Compared to Pro Football Hall of Fame and the Basketball Hall of Fame. To the Baseball Hall of Fame. Mentioned some questionable characters. That are in the Hall of Fame of football and basketball. Basically making a case. You got players that played in the steroids era. You got the likes of Pete Rose. Still time to right the wrong and put these players in its Hall of Fame where they belong. Will Clark may not ever get into baseball's Hall of Fame. He is probably the one player that was hurt the most by the steroids era. The R word. I think it is about context. The best thing that you could do is just not say it. But do you deserve to lose your job? If you say it as an insult towards somebody that happens to not be mentally or physically handicapped? Gotta watch out with this PR police. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, We'll be back with you probably Wednesday, and we'll reach out. Maybe we'll do a couple of PBS interviews, a couple of people we had a chance to discuss and talk with over the baseball winter meetings in San Diego. So hope you have a good weekend. Enjoy your Sunday football, your any college football that exists today, basketball, hockey, golf. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.